Hello, and welcome to CPR Unplugged. I'm Rob. I'll be your host for our On the Spotlight segment. And today I'd like to welcome our guest, Mark Lee. Mark is a licensed clinical social worker and author of the book, The Drug Addict's Handbook for Recovery. Mark, uh, thanks for stopping by today. It's great to see you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. A little background with Mark. Um, I first met Mark when I moved to Arizona almost 20 years ago from Michigan. My first job out here was as a crisis therapist at uh, one of the local hospitals, and Mark was a colleague of mine in the department. And uh, over the years, last 20 years or so, we kind of lost touch, but we've bumped into each other here and there. And, uh, and so it's just, it's just great to see you, Mark. And, and uh, so tell us to start off with a, a little bit about what you're doing now and uh, what you've been doing over the last 20 years since I last saw you, my friend. It's only been 20 years. <laughs> so, uh, well, right now I'm, I'm working a couple of days a week for a crisis preparation and recovery. I, uh, I work at one hospital doing assessments on the medical floors. Uh, I had actually retired and uh, I was burning through cash. So I went back to work two days and uh, it's turned out to be the perfect gig. Been there for a couple, three years. And uh, over the years I've done a variety of things. I've worked with a variety of, of folks. Actually the first job I had after my uh, master's degree in 1994 was working with folks that were HIV positive. And uh, did that uh, for a while. I was a kind of a tough, tough challenge as my opening opening gig uh, out here. And then uh, did IOP for many years. I've done uh, thousands of assessments in various settings. And I was a coordinator for the uh, residential program for substance abuse at uh, Banner and Scottsdale for five years. I've done probably nine years of intensive outpatient. Uh, I've worked in detoxes, uh, day treatment, family groups. You know, I've done a lot of a lot of work with, and particularly with drug addicts and alcoholics. That's been sort of my my specialty. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. What uh, initially drew you to the field of mental health and and recovery? Well, it was a, a lack of skills, actually. I. Uh, <laughs> I I, uh, in 1984, I, I got clean and uh, stopped using drugs and drinking, and uh, I had no real skills. I had worked around the music business for many years, and the, my, my basic skill was uh, staying vertical uh, using all the drugs uh, that everybody was using for years. So, so, I, uh, so I got clean and had, like, no, no skills uh, so I tried different things, tried painting. Uh, I was very slow, uh, house painting. Uh, did a little roofing, uh, was afraid of heights. Uh, you know, I just uh, did not have any real skills. And someone had suggested that I go to work in a residential treatment program in Michigan, out in the country, in Holly, Michigan. Uh, it was a converted tiki motel. And I uh, went to work there and uh, as a house manager, and that was sort of the beginning. And that same person had suggested that I go, uh, I go back to school. So I took uh, one class. I took Fundamentals of Drug Abuse and did really well, which makes sense. Subject you were familiar with? I was, I was like, in the class, I was excelling, <laughs> actually. Uh, so, uh, so I went to school uh, like one, two classes at a time, got a uh, two-year degree. 
over a period of five years, and then uh, went back to uh, went to the university and got a bachelor's in social work and a master's in social work. So, graduated in 1994. I had met a woman in Michigan that had moved out here to Arizona, and I came out. Uh, we married, and I moved out here, and uh, we had a family. So, Mark, tell me a bit more about your experience with substance use and what got you into recovery. Uh, sure. No, I. Uh, Actually, uh, when I was 14, I picked up alcohol and, uh, and loved it and had a family history of uh, alcoholism. And this is the mid-60s, so that was 1964. I started drinking, and, of course, drugs were very popular in the 60s, and everybody thought that was a, a great thing. So basically, everything I picked up, I liked. <laughs> so that, that became an issue over time. And so uh, pills and uh, pot, cocaine, alcohol, definitely, uh, you know, whatever anybody had. And they had all kinds of different things in the 60s. So so uh, I had a whole range of problems. Uh, and this went on for 20 years. And it's kind of burned my life to the ground. And uh, when I finally got clean, I was living in a storefront in Detroit with no heat, no hot water, no phone, no car. Uh, working part-time as a janitor. And uh, I was on call but didn't have a phone, so I had to go up to the phone booth to call to see if I could be a janitor that night. So, uh, And one day I was just looking at my life, and I said, uh, you know, this is not going well, and uh, which was an accurate assessment. <laughs> and uh, and so I decided to uh, to make a change, and I was very fortunate that I had help. I think that's a really big deal uh, for any of us, uh, if you're going to stop using drugs or stop drinking, uh, it's really hard to do that without any uh, useful information. And most of us don't really have any useful information. So it's really helpful to have people that can sort of guide you in, in early recovery and kind of get you, uh, get you moving in the right direction. And what was the help that you got, Mark? Well, it was 12-step 12 uh, 12 fellowship. So... Uh, uh, I had been in a residential program uh, a couple of years earlier, and uh, I had actually been experimenting with recovery for 11 years at that point and had no substantial clean time. So I was uh, sort of blessed. I had, uh, I had heard about a fellowship and pursued it uh, in 1984, and ultimately that, that worked out for me. So, so But I'm, I'm convinced you got to have... You don't have to have, but it would certainly be helpful to have some kind of help, uh, some kind of guidance, because the stuff that, that recovery consists of, people don't really talk about when they're using drugs or drinking. That's not really a typical topic of conversation. So when people decide to get clean, oftentimes they'll say, well, I'm just going to do it. And that would be great if you knew how to do it, but uh, you don't really know how to do it. So to say I'm going to do it is kind of like saying, uh, I've got diabetes, I'll take care of it, uh, which would be great if you knew a lot about uh, diabetes, but uh, people don't. And so without some kind of guidance, there's a pretty good chance they'll continue doing things that, that are destructive uh, if you've got diabetes. And it's really the same kind of thing. You want to have people that know what they're doing uh, they can kind of move you in a, in a positive direction. And people have gotten clean many different ways 
uh, in many different ways. And, you know, it's, uh, it's hard for me to know exactly what's going to work for someone. Someone might use church or psychiatry or medication or 12-step fellowships, treatment of various kinds, residential treatment, intensive outpatient treatment. Uh, I mean, there's just a, a, a plethora of ways to, to stop using uh, the, the nice thing about the 12-step fellowships is you've got something that's free, and I think free counts for a lot. Uh, and a lot of people, uh, by the time they decide to get clean, they've kind of burned their lives to the ground. So they don't necessarily have money or insurance or a job or any of the kinds of things that would help someone to, to get clean, or they're sitting in a jail cell. And... Uh, and so I was really, uh, really focused on what kind of, uh, what kind of help uh, can people access for free, and that's kind of limited. Uh, actually, most of the the treatment options uh, uh, require some kind of uh, insurance or, or cash, and uh, and a lot of people with addiction don't really have the resources to do that. So. And then these other things, if I told someone, well, you know, if you went to church, that might work, uh, you know, says who and which religion, and it becomes kind of difficult to point people to a solution in that realm. Um, and other people might say, I have no interest in psychiatry or counseling or, you know, uh, there are people that say I have no interest in 12-step fellowships. I mean, uh, so it's really hard to know exactly what's going to work. So what I've tried to do in the last couple of years, and I'm getting older, I'm 69, I'll be 70 next year, and uh, yeah, I'm old. <laughs> so the, uh, you know, what I've been trying to do is capture uh, the interventions that I feel work with drug addicts. And... Uh, I captured them in a book. It took about two years to write. It's called the uh, the Drug Addicts Handbook for Recovery, and uh, the goal was to get this uh, get this into jails, uh, and that was our our focus initially. Uh, and the initial goal was to sell them to jails for costs. Uh, the book costs about five dollars to manufacture, and and it's actually a freestanding complete intervention. Uh, for a drug addict, it beats the heck out of nothing, and nothing is what a lot of these people would get. Uh, jails typically don't have programming, particularly in small, small jails, and uh, they might have a couple of meetings, if that, but but they don't have programming. So, so this would be in lieu of nothing. Uh, and basically, I tried to capture the interventions I would use with somebody that was new to recovery, and uh, captured them one intervention per page. So it's, uh, it's actually ma uh, modeled after the book, uh, The World According to Mr. Rogers, which uh, is really a wonderful little book. Uh, he was such a nice guy. <laughs> and he has one idea on each page. Uh, and the book is just one idea. So something like, uh, you know, I love you just the way you are. That would be the whole page. And so uh, with the Drug Addicts Handbook for Recovery, I've got things like uh, you can do whatever you want. It's your life. Or, uh, you know, if you need to feel good uh, uh, immediately after getting clean, you probably won't stay clean because you're not going to feel good. And uh, it's a number of things that I would say to people in treatment. People would come to treatment and say, well, you know, I don't want to go to 12-step meetings. I say, well, you don't have to go to 12-step meetings. You can do whatever you want, you know, and, and that's sort of liberating uh, for them. 
versus this is what you have to do. But I was saying it'd be helpful if you went because <laughs> at least you'd be hanging out with some people that actually know something about recovery and you'd have a place to sort of work on the challenges that you're going to face early in recovery. But you don't have to do that. Or someone would say, uh, you know, I've been here for two days. I'm doing fine. I'm leaving. I'd say, uh, well, you can leave, <laughs> but it's probably not going to work. Your odds are like 100 to 1 of succeeding. And I had one guy say, well, I'm going to be that 1%. And I was like, okay, you can leave. You know, so it's it's like that kind of stuff. Or if you're hanging out with drug addicts, you're probably going to use. Or if you're expecting your family to keep you clean, it's not going to work. You know, they're going to tend to bring up the past, uh, get angry at you, and, uh, and either cut you off, enable you, uh, or something uh, something else that's unproductive. You know, families are not really in, equipped to help somebody that first gets clean. There's typically a lot of resentments <laughs> at that point. So, uh, so that kind of stuff, you know. So I've got several hundred pages of little tips on how to actually uh, get clean, stay clean. And uh, the first chapter is actually thinking about getting clean. So just contemplating actually doing this. I love the book, Mark. Uh, things I loved about it, it's, it's simple, it's practical, it's part recipe, it's supportive, it's, it's empathic. Uh, it's simple in the sense that it, uh, like you mentioned, it gives uh, you know, real short uh, snippets uh, on each page. And it's, uh, it comes across very succinctly. It doesn't talk down to the reader. And it uh, has resources in it that I thought were great as well. Uh, a bit about uh, your story as well, which uh, was a real um, uplifting message of recovery. I, I, I really loved it. And is there any way to, to get the book currently, Mark? Uh, there is, actually. Uh, on the website, the thedrugaddictshandbook.com, uh, the book is available. Uh, uh, it's about $10 in shipping, so $13, $14, I guess, for the whole thing. The, uh, and our original intent was to sell them to jails at cost, uh, so we were not intending to make any money, and uh, we've certainly succeeded at that. The, uh, but because it turned out the jails did not have resources to buy additional materials, uh, we're now working on this, uh, this uh, nonprofit uh, and tax-exempt. Uh, we just got tax-exempt uh, status for the nonprofit. So, so the goal now is to raise funds, and we're going to start in January uh, 2020, raising money to actually give the books to jails, uh, drug courts, uh, child welfare agencies, uh, local fire departments, police departments, uh, and particularly in small towns. Uh, my personal target is uh, small towns in West Virginia, Kentucky, uh, New Hampshire, places that have been devastated by this uh, opioid epidemic. And, uh, and actually 70,000 people have died in the last 12 months of overdoses. So it's a huge, it's actually the fifth highest killer of uh, of people in this country now, uh, which is amazing if you think about it. So uh, so that was the the initial target, and uh, and so we've got them available on the on the website, the Drug Addicts Handbook dot com. 
the uh, the goal ultimately would be to shift over to uh, you know donations and perhaps send books for free to people that made donations of twenty dollars or more, uh, but we haven't quite got to that point. So we've got a shift of focus now from. Uh, selling the books into jails to raising funds to give the books to jails, which is like an entirely different animal. And uh, the uh, the nonprofit's called Selvention. It's C-E-L-L-V-E-N-T-I-O-N. And uh, the goal is to, uh, to help people uh, that are in jail uh, that have a drug problem actually stop going back to jail. Uh, turns out recidivism is extremely high. And uh, in uh, this state, actually in Arizona, you've got 42,000 people in prison. These are huge numbers. And uh, when they do the intake assessments for uh, prisons here in Arizona, they've actually assessed that 78% of the people coming into prisons have a drug problem or a drinking problem, so a substance abuse problem of some sort. So, so you've got 30-some thousand people in prison in this state that have a drinking or drug problem. And of those, 830 are receiving treatment. So you have about 30,000 drug addicts or alcoholics in the prisons here in Arizona uh, who are not receiving any treatment. And again, that's really where I see this as, as, uh, as being really helpful, is uh, to give people something uh, in the way of information where they would get nothing otherwise. And it's the same information people were paying $1,000 a day for at Banner and Scottsdale. Uh, it's the same stuff I would say to people there. And, uh, and so I think it has value. And, uh, and really, in lieu of nothing, it's, it's a huge, huge deal. And is there a website where you can get the book? There is. It's thedrugaddictshandbook.com. All one word, thedrugaddictshandbook.com. And uh, and the books are available. There's a buy button. So we've been, uh, been sort of beta testing uh, uh, sales of the book, individual sales of the book. And uh, sales of the book generally have been challenging. And part of it's like how many people actually know about the book. It's a fairly uh, small group of people that are aware of the book. So. Well, and I hope this helps in promoting the book. Like I said, I found it to be a fantastic read that uh, really shares the, the message of hope for recovery and in a way that's uh, very easy to digest and, uh, and get through um, in bits and pieces. You can take what you need and leave the rest, and it's just uh, uh, a great message to anybody um, hoping to find recovery uh, from substance abuse. Yeah, I appreciate that. Very good, Mark. One more thing before we wrap up here. I wanted to g give you a chance to brag about the Humility Award I heard you recently won. I won, but people nominated me, and, and so I won the Humility Award. And if you, you look at the fine print, they're actually talking about someone who advocates for people with behavioral health problems, and uh, and I certainly have been doing that. So, so uh, yeah, it was an opportunity to talk about me. Uh, it was an opportunity to talk about the uh, the book, and uh, it was also an opportunity to talk about my health. Actually, I had uh, recently had a heart attack, and and uh, it just pointed out again the urgency of uh, of doing something helpful, and I think the book is is that thing. So. Uh, life does not go on forever, 
And most of us, I think, we're not super good at this when we first started. I really think that's true, that it's a rare person that comes out of college and just kills it when it comes to helping people. And it took years for me to get good at it. And then, uh, you know, you get old, you retire and die, and that knowledge is lost. And uh, uh, at the award ceremony, Mike Speakman, who had won uh, one of the awards, uh, he had uh, been working on trying to carry his knowledge forward. And, uh, you know, it's the same, same thing with the book. I mean, this is the stuff that I would tell people that are trying to get clean uh, in treatment and have been for years, uh, many years. And, uh, and so I've, I've captured that in a way that uh, I think is accessible to people, even if they're withdrawing from drugs in a jail cell, uh, I think it's accessible. So, and to me, that's, that's important. I'd hate to think, uh, you know, I worked for 33 years in the field and then get to the end and all that knowledge is lost. And uh, so I really feel like this is a, a neat opportunity to, to move that stuff uh, forward. You know, it's, a, it's a, uh, you know, an opportunity to be helpful in a very concrete way. And I would agree, Mark. Mark, it's been a wonderful talk. It's been great to see you again. And I wish you all the best in health and life uh, going forward from here. All right. Well, I appreciate that got questions or ideas for the podcast, or perhaps you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at podcast at crisisprepandrecovery.com or call 602-281-7795. You can also find us online at cprpodcast.podbean.com or wherever you prefer to find your podcasts. CPR Unplugged was produced by Crisis Preparation and Recovery, Inc. The intro and outro music was created by Rob Wilson. The CPR podcast team includes Tamara LaMontagne, Ben Edwards, Laura Kaufman, Rob Wilson, and Michael Magarinos. Special thanks to Jason Spisak for technical support. 